This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish in the Anglican Church of North America in Houston, Texas. Find us online at holytrinityrec.org. Find us on Facebook as Holy Trinity Houston, and on Twitter and Instagram as Holy Trinity REC. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I will be king. This prideful phrase from David's son, Adonijah, means that the book of 1 Kings begins where the book of 2 Samuel closed with David's kingdom in turmoil through his family. Today we begin a series through the end of the Trinity season this year on the book of 1 Kings. Over the last few years in our parish, we've meditated upon many of the historical books of the Old Testament that spoke of Israel's early history as a country. Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and now the first book of the Kings. In our time with so much uncertainty, it's appropriate for us as God's people to look to Holy Scripture for how God calls us to live, how God calls us to respond. The turbulent errors associated with these historical books can be of great help and comfort to all of us in our troubling times to help us trust that only Jesus Christ can comfort us by his rule through it all. First Kings will bring us through the end of King David's life. Solomon, his son's reign, then the division of the kingdom, and finally with Elijah the prophet and his work and ministry in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of probably the vilest of kings to reign in Ahab. This morning, let us reflect on this first part of Chapter 1. The book, the book begins with this. Now King David was old and advanced in years. Knowing that he died around the age of 70, this is quite young compared to earlier people in scripture, especially in leadership positions. Yet with all the ravages upon his body and mind that he dealt with, as we read in First and Second Samuel at dealing with King Saul, constantly trying to murder him, a bitter civil war when he took the throne, continuous wars against the Philistines and other enemies, his horrible sin of adultery and its aftermath, his son Absalom's rebellion, and much more. It is only by God's grace David lived as long as he lived. At this point, the status of the kingdom and his rule was such that Really, if you think about it, it was in maintenance mode of keeping him comfortable as he approached the end of his days. Life as we all know it as Christians is fleeting and transitory. For the Christian, we know this is true, yet we have supreme hope in Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection in which he has promised we will join him at that last great day. Even with the greatest and godliest of leaders, the baggage of sin and death always points us to the truth that Jesus alone as our great ascended shepherd king will wipe away all our tears. 
as our psalm today in verse 6 reminds us of Christ. You make him to have dominion of the works of your hands, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. And the end of our epistle today, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. David, even as all great leaders, was nearing the end, and Israel was facing the uncertainty associated with new leadership. In verses 5 and through 10 of this lesson, we read that the uncertainty for the next ruler arrived even before David died. Verse 5 states, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Even though Adonijah means, my Lord is Yahweh, he exhibited several selfish and sinful traits of pride in his actions and words. First, pride, if you think about it, drives out genuine love and honor. In seeking the kingdom for himself, he cast off his love and submission to God by forsaking his love and his honor for David, his father, and his father's responsibility to name the successor. In our own lives, the same rings true when pride is exalted over the love of God and those God is placed in authority over us. Secondly, as we see in this lesson, pride requires a show. The last part of verse 5 states, And he prepared, speaking of Adonijah still, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. If you remember the end of 2 Samuel, years earlier, Adonijah's older brother Absalom in his rebellion against David did the same thing. Pride snowballs into an eventual avalanche of sin. It goes from declaring one's superiority to then make a show of it through might and so forth. How much of what we do in the world around us stems from pride? Showing our might, whether through our cunning and our words or in other things. It's a constant temptation we must pray for help against to resist in favor of humility in Jesus Our call in resisting pride is to do as Jesus Christ commanded us today to his disciples and to us in the gospel lesson where he said, and you also will bear witness. Every moment of our lives is a call to bear witness to the world around us of the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, through promoting him above all else, even over ourselves. Third, as we see in this lesson, pride as we see with Adonijah, means pride in the approval of his father. Verse 6 states that David never at any time displeased Adonijah. In other words, David never challenged him. The humility instilled in David, as we read in the earlier books, by God through all that he went through in his life was lacking with this son. This lack of training in humility toward God bears the awful fruit here of pride, and entitlement. Whenever we are in the midst of prosperity, prideful entitlement always is a danger. It is the constant call for all of us to serve Jesus as our all, beginning with our worship. Pride drives us to worship self, to push God out of the picture. Entitlement is to think too highly of ourselves and that we deserve prosperity and anything else we deem of value in this wicked world. In the end, as fallen humanity, 
We deserve nothing but the just penalty for our sins, eternal death. In Christ's redeeming work by grace through faith, we have now been freed from this death and are entitled to the greatest entitlement of all, an eternal life in his presence, worshiping him. Everything else in terms of the filthy rags of entitlements of this sinful world seek to tempt us away from Christ and our dependence upon him. Fourth, and related to prideful entitlement, is pride in appearance. We read in verse 6 of Adonijah, he was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. His brother Absalom, as you read at the end of 2 Samuel, was also a handsome man. Adonijah had so much going for him from a worldly point of view. Favor from his father that never challenged him. Good looks. Nothing has changed as we tend to gravitate towards leaders with good looks and so forth. It is all about image for sinful humanity. Our pride pushes us to convey our very best while diminishing our flaws from the sight of others. The call for all of us is a submission to Jesus Christ alone, leaving all that sinful humanity seeks behind by serving him and worshiping him. Fifth, as we see in this lesson, pride seeks to deceive others in order to advance pride's desires. Adonijah did this through conferring with and receiving the support of key figures in David's uh, kingdom. The support of Joab, the leader of Israel's army. The support of one of Israel's priests and Abiathar. The presence of these men initially gave credence to Adonijah's designs. Same is true in our lives where pride causes those trying to lead others astray to support them. Anything or anyone that seeks to boost themselves over Christ is an affront to the gospel and must be rejected. Sixth, as we see in this passage, the servants of God discern pride and they see through it. They reject it. They oppose it in God's name. We read this in verse 8. But Zadok the priest, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei and Rei, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. God always preserves a remnant that will make a stand with his righteous people. Ultimately, this is our call as well as the servants of Jesus Christ. It is to stand, to stay in Christ and his righteousness over and against the pride and wickedness of humanity that seeks to raise itself up above Christ. Seventh, pride causes the wayward to seek self-promotion, to boost their standing. Read in verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside in Rogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. This is not without precedent for the prideful in Israel's history up to this point. Remember at the end of 2 Samuel, Absalom did the same and then murdered one of his brothers out of vengeance, causing the rest of the brothers to run in fear for their lives. King Saul, during his reign, offered sacrifices out of pride and fear, not obeying the prophet Samuel to wait until he arrived to offer the proper sacrifices before going to battle. We live in a world where self-promotion 
is touted as the norm, as righteousness. We must resist such in favor of our mission and call to promote Jesus Christ as Lord and King above everything else. Lastly, in this section, pride avoids and shuns truth from witnesses that will thwart prideful intentions. Verse 10 of our lesson states, But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah or the mighty men or Solomon his brother. Scripture calls us to the truth that any matter must be established by two or three witnesses. Pride and falsehood, as we know, seek false witnesses to establish fiction as legitimate. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as we know, encountered this with his trial before the Sanhedrin that paraded false witness after false witness to try to convict him. In the end, God's truth, and God's truth alone prevails, as we'll see in the next section. In verses 11 through 27, it speaks of how loyal and righteous witnesses sought to inform King David of the rebellion of Adonijah. Pride often seeks to avoid the truth at all costs. We see this in verse 11. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? David didn't know, as it is evidenced in this passage, that his own son sought the throne. This passage also speaks to the truth that multiple witnesses needed to approach David about what was occurring. Verse 14 states of Nathan speaking to Bathsheba, Then while you are speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. The actions of truth are needed to thwart this falsehood. Verse 20 states, After the truth had been set before David, and now, my lord the king, the eyes of all of Israel are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. After this plea, Nathan, as promised, comes into the picture and confirms the accounts before the king. If you notice here, Nathan used pointed and direct questions for the king. Verse 24 states, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? And then in verse 27, Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Sometimes pointed and direct questions are needed to jolt us to do what is right before it's too late. This was the case here with Nathan to David. Note that his words to David were full of respect and honor. And our call is the same with one another. We live in a world full of those that seek to promote themselves through sinful pride. We live in a world full of people that want to promote themselves over and above God. Adonijah is just one of many examples from scripture that we must heed as instances for us to seek Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness above all else. We must be in constant guard through prayer and seeking God's help to submit to him, eradicating all our notions of pride. May we, in this season where we mark the ascension of our King Jesus Christ, seek first his kingdom and honor above all else. This Sunday is the only Sunday in between the time we marked our Lord's ascension this last Thursday 
and the descent of the Holy Spirit to indwell the church to empower us to fulfill Christ's great commission, as we'll celebrate next Sunday. This interim period was marked with the disciples in deep prayer and worship, preparing for the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. Let this time also serve for us to pray and prepare, seeking his help to root out our pride so that we may humbly proceed as his people in our continued mission to reach the lost with the gospel, bearing witness that Jesus Christ is our Lord and King. Amen.